0: Educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise. Balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home.
1: Today on the Practical Preservation podcast, we have um, Kevin Sylvan with us from um, the National Trust Insurance Services. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah.
1: Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background.
2: So I am an insurance agent. I um, have been an insurance agent for uh, about 15 years, Um, but I've been with National Trust Insurance since uh or about 6 or 7 years uh so really we're kind of a specialized agency which what I'll talk about but all I do is I I work with the owners and stewards of historic uh structures so okay
1: yeah okay very good and so and that kind of leads us into what so what is the National Trust Insurance Services
2: Yeah, so in a roundabout way, uh, National Trust Insurance is a specialized insurance agency that only works with the owners and stewards and operators of historic buildings. So most commonly you'll think about historic house museums and historical societies, historic theaters, historic hotels, uh, historic real estate, homeowners of historic houses, really anybody that... um, Owns a historic building. Um, So we were created in 2003 by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. So we are a subsidiary of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. And really we were created out of need because a lot of the membership of the National Trust um, didn't really have proper insurance. The the insurance industry as a whole didn't really know how to handle um, and properly insure historic structures Um, so we've worked with various insurance carriers to come up with customized policies so that you know at the end of the day you carry insurance for if you have a claim and if you need to rebuild or or fix or restore a historic building um, we need to make sure that there's proper historic materials and craftsmanship and architectural features available um, so that the historic elements are repaired um, right. Now, obviously, we can't we can't replicate history, so we can't. Um, you know, if there is a, a large or even a catastrophic claim in a historic building, you know, the history in a lot of sense is lost. But most commonly, it's um, you know, 95% of all property insurance claims are partial in nature, so it's. You're, you're constantly trying to uh, fix a damaged portion of a building so that it matches the undamaged historic parts of the building. So, right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we have a few thousand clients nationally, and we work in pretty much every state. So we're we're based yeah, okay. in um, Baltimore. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: And um, let me see. So, you kind of kind of touched on it but talk to me about how insuring a historic building would be different than like just going and buying regular homeowner's insurance
2: yeah so if you think about let's just use round numbers let's say there are a hundred insurance carriers out there and you know you can be insured with one of a hundred different insurance carriers well not all 100 are created equal. And and the insurance policies of those 100 carriers are all kind of different. Relatively, mm-hmm. they, they're the same and they serve the same general purpose, but the wording within the policy is all different. So let's say you owned a historic house or a historic commercial building, and, you know, sometime in the middle of the night a water pipe bursts. And you come in the next morning and you've got a building that's 80% undamaged and historic and grand in every way. And then you've got 20% that's rubble, you know, um, rotting plaster and ruined hardwood floors. You know, you're going to lean on your insurance carrier to make sure that, um, the policy provides enough coverage, both limits and the coverage wording to allow you to restore the damage so that it's Mm -hmm. like it never occurred. And, um, Most off-the-shelf homeowners' policies, unfortunately, do not protect the historic elements of the building. The the common example we'll give is, you know, most insurance companies will tell you, all right, you know, Home Depot, quality materials, you know, modern materials. You're going to replace drywall or plaster with drywall. You're going to replace oak floors with pine floors. You're going to, you know, basically... Try to fix it as most affordably as possible. Right. So where we come in as we partner our clients with the insurance carriers that, um, for lack of a better term, aren't as cheap. You know that don't nickel and dime yet as much right. as uh, other carriers that recognize a historic building is going to need more expensive materials, more expensive labor costs. Um, unique artisan contractors that might not be Mm -hmm. generally available. So um, that's the main difference. But there's a couple of other differences, which I can get into.
1: Oh, sure. Feel free.
2: (laughs) So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, um, you know, the question we get is, well, how do we insure an older building? Mm -hmm. And when you look at, when you talk to an insurance agent, you know, and and I'm an insurance agent, most commonly people look at their limit of insurance. They might look at a building and say, or a house, and say, um, okay, I've got a 5,000 square foot building, and how much should I insure it for? And you know, insurance agents all over the country will, will range in, in their recommendations. Some will say $100 a square foot, which would be a half a million dollars. Some say $200 a square foot, which would be a million dollars. And some say, you know, three or $400 a square foot. And that's a huge range. And the, and oh, it people, is huge, yeah. And people often, and understandably so, they tie their building limit to their premium. I mean, nobody wants to overspend on insurance, and you know myself right. included. You know, insurance is a necessity, but you don't want to go broke buying insurance. So, you know, when they look at their limit of insurance, the, and what they pay, they most commonly say, "Well, hey, if I carry a lower limit, maybe I'll save a little money," which could be true in some instances. But that's the topic that most people want to focus on, is what are we insured for? And the answer is that, unfortunately, historic structures need a higher cost per square foot. You know, if you took a modern townhome that was built in 1990, you might be able to get away with insuring it for 100 or $150 a square foot, because if something right. happens, you can go to Home Depot. You can go to drive
1: those work, materials, right. You can
2: get the materials affordably. And the contractors that can fix that damage are plentiful. There's plenty right. of you know, general contractors that can do it. But if you have um, a historic building with um, superior materials and um harder to attract materials and the workers the, the artists and contractors that can do that kind of work are not readily available well then you need to spend more so mm-hmm. as a result you should carry a higher limit of insurance um, but buried within that insurance policy most people look for the limit and they say all right here's the limit great i'm carrying a healthy limit even if you've decided hey i'm going to carry 300 dollars a square foot and you feel comfortable with that limit it still doesn't answer the question of, well, how is the carrier going to fix your, agree to fix your building? And right. In the policy, there's all these clauses, and, you know, insurance policies are 100 pages long for a reason because there's a lot of ifs and buts, right. and here's what we'll do, and here's what we won't do. And um, there's something called a valuation clause the valuation clause is basically the agreement that the carrier is making for how they're going to fix your building. Not what, not the limit, that's separate. This is more right. of the how. You could have a small claim, a, a medium claim, or a large claim, and the valuation clause is going to dictate essentially what the carrier is going to agree to do. So a good insurance agent should focus on the valuation clause. Um, there is, now that the insurance kind of market is coming around to historic properties, there are, mm-hmm. there are valuation clauses that are crafted for historic property owners that will say in very specific terms that we will pay, the, we will replace the same historic materials, the same craftsmanship, the same architectural features. It's kind of like the gold standard, and that's, right. what, you want, that's what you should try to focus on, is um, that type of stuff.
1: Yeah, and and I know sometimes, um, and I can't remember what the other phrase is, but like the replacement versus, um, I can't remember what the other word is, but you know I know that that's a that's also like an issue because when we purchase our house, and our house is just you know we we live in um, in Lancaster City, we just have like a. Um, 1920s duplex and but it's brick it's you know three still three three layers thick and when we were talking about insuring it I know that like I said no we we need to insure it for a higher amount because if something would happen and then we did we had a claim like 10 years in and we had to fight with our insurance agent, or not our agent but our, our insurance carrier for six months before we finally got you know the entire claim covered um, so yeah. yeah, it is yeah, even though i even though I knew a little bit
2: <laughs> yeah. no you 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 were close uh in, yeah. in your terminology, in fact, you were right on one, so replacement costs i I'll say that okay there's the worst, there's the medium, and then there's the best the 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 medium, which is called replacement cost, yeah. that is the most common, which is the agreement that the carrier is gonna use the same. Uh, materials, relatively speaking, they use kind of vague terms. They, they yeah. call like like kind and quality, which is a subjective term. Um, right, which, um, isn't isn't the best. Uh, the worst is what's called actual cash value, which is similar to auto insurance. If you were driving around town in a 1995 Toyota Camry and you totaled it, well. Your insurance carrier is not going to buy you a brand-new Toyota Camry because right. you weren't just driving a brand-new. They're going to give you the depreciated amount, the Kelly Blue Book value, of your depreciated 1995 Camry. So what they do is they take the, what a new Camry would cost and they depreciate it down to the 1995 level, and they give you a check for a couple hundred dollars because what's a depreciated Toyota Camry worth? Not much. Right. In property insurance, that's very bad because let's just say you had an actual cash value policy, and you have um, a small fire, and you get some contractors out there, and all the contractors say we can fix the damage for 100, 100 grand. You get another contractor out there who says I can fix it for 100 grand. You get another contractor out there who says I can fix it for you know 90 grand. So you know it's kind of the damage is somewhere in the 90 to 100 grand range. But then your insurance company says, "Okay, it's going to cost you know 100 grand to fix it." But that's before we depreciate it. So they're going to depreciate all the materials, um, and you might get a check for 30 grand or 40 grand, right. which is I've not seen good that, because yeah. you, you have a hundred thousand dollars of debt. You have, you have to spend a hundred thousand to fix it, but you're only right. getting a check for 30. The actual cash value for a historic property is pretty bad. That's kind yeah. of the worst. But unfortunately, yeah. some carriers, that's all they'll offer for a historic property. Yeah. Uh, replacement yeah. cost, again, would be the, the middle, and that's the most common. But the, the gold standard is something called historic replacement cost, which is more prevalent in the commercial insurance world, you know, house museum type stuff. Yeah. But also you can get from homeowners, which basically says, um it removes all subjectivity, and again it says we're gonna use the same historic material, the same craftsmanship and architectural features, which is very black and white very good
1: so right yeah. yeah yeah i um so and i I saw on the on the website that um you also offer other types of insurance like um Insurance, like, I guess it would be more for, like, the house museums and things, like, the board members, that, that kind of coverage. Are there other insurances other that you provide?
2: Yeah. So, it, to, to kind of simplify it, we're broken into two areas. One okay. is historic homeowners, so individuals. You know, homeowners policies, auto policies, umbrella policies, jewelry policies, fine arts policies, those type of things for the the average homeowner who might live and reside in a historic home and all of their family insurance needs. We can do all of that. Um, But most of what we do is commercial insurance um, where we work with mostly nonprofits. So it doesn't have to be a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. but, you know, 90% of who we work with are nonprofits. Um, And they have needs aside from just the building insurance. They have general liability insurance, because they might be operating a a museum or a historical Mm -hmm. society or a hotel or a theater or whatever. Um, There's directors and officers liability, which protects the board members of these nonprofits uh, against allegations of, you know, breach of duty or bad decision-making by the board. It could be misappropriation of funds, it could be, you know, anything. Um, and then there's various types of just incidental miscellaneous insurance policies that are part of every organization, workers' com- compensation insurance and right. volunteer accident insurance and employment practices liability insurance and cyber liability and auto liability and umbrella liability. mean, there's a whole world of insurance that right. organizations should consider. Um, so in that sense, we, you know, we're just like any other insurance agent we work with a large network of carriers, and um we do it all
1: okay um well and that's that's good to know because I would have made the assumption that you just you know covered like properties and and so I'm glad I asked that because i it's good to know that you can come you, someone could come to you for all their insurance needs rather than just you know having to kind of piece their their insurance together. I think you get better coverage that way, making sure everything you know there's not gaps.
2: Y- y- correct yeah. yeah you should yeah. you should primarily work with one insurance agent it's recommended yeah. a lot of times you'll have people that want to break it up and because they're trying to appease different you know hey i want to work with this agent because he's a friend of a board member and this agent because he's my neighbor but you know a true insurance agent is looking out for your organizational risk and if you've got two people that aren't communicating you could definitely have a gap in coverage yeah you really shouldn't Yeah, yeah it's, it's not recommended yeah. to do that so,
1: yeah, so do you have any, uh, we, and I think we've covered it, but maybe there's something else that I haven't thought of. Uh, or um, Is there is there anything, do you have any tips for our listeners for insuring an older building?
2: Um, yeah, I, I would just um, really challenge your insurance agent to, um, you know, focus on what, what building limit would be appropriate. You know, a, a qualified insurance agent can really help um, we can certainly help in that area, but if you just wanted to stay with your, your current insurance agent, just really want to try to nail down your building limit and what should be an appropriate limit to carry. Um, there are penalties built into policies. It's called co-insurance. It's a penalty if you have a claim and it's determined that you're not carrying a high enough limit um, where it can really cut your claims check. So there's all these kind of mouse traps built into the policy and and not that the insurance carriers act in, in bad faith and, and quite the contrary. I think most are great A-rated carriers that have great reputation. Right. Um, but you just want to make sure that your insurance agent is covering, um, you know, speaking with a lot of different insurance carriers and um, and if you ever needed a second opinion, you should always reach out to another insurance agent and mm-hmm. and just try to end up partnering with one that thinks they that understands your your needs um, better
1: i think that's i think that's good advice um and and I think sometimes to 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 make sure that somebody really understands what your goals are and and that you know you're not you don't just want uh an insurance policy to fulfill whatever requirement you might have for your mortgage or whatever, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to bring it back to, you know, what it was or what it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the common yeah. challenge that I think uh, any consumer of insurance battles is, again, no one wants to overpay for insurance, and uh, I'm included in that. Um, mm-hmm. and But at the end of the day, you're buying insurance... For a reason and you're buying it because in the in the unlikely event something goes wrong and it could be once a year it could be once every ten years or whatever but when that bad thing happens, the last thing you want is to be treated poorly right. or not fully understand how your policies are going to trigger and react and um, so um, we've often found that The good carriers, the ones that truly understand historic buildings, not only provide better coverage terms, but they can give you a higher limit for less money, meaning they're just more comfortable with a historic building, so they'll say, whereas carrier A that might not feel super comfortable insuring a historic building, you know, they might charge you um, whatever, let's just say $5,000 for a half a million dollar limit. But carrier B, who feels very comfortable insuring a historic building, might give you a million-dollar limit for $3,000. So it's not, uh, there's not always this comparison that the limit, you know, sometimes you just need to be with the carrier that, that knows how to insure a historic building, right. and thus they're more comfortable doing it, and then they'll charge less because they're more comfortable doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, do you see any trends or, or challenges in preservation?
2: Well, um, I'll have I have two comments. One okay. is timely, which is coronavirus kind of related, but the general oh, yeah. kind of all the consistent um trend uh, or issue is you know uh, the building itself. So. You know, historic buildings are historic based upon age. Right. You know, 50 years or older makes it historic by, by you know, the standards. Yeah. But, you know, we all know that there's a big difference between a, a 1910 restored, you know, well-maintained, well-funded organization that you know, is constantly checking to make sure the roof is okay and electrical repairs. And it's, you know, they've they've spent the blood, sweat, and tears to make sure the building is restored. And conversely, a 1910 building that's pre-restored, you know, an organization that might still be trying to raise money in a capital campaign to do something. And um, obviously not all historic buildings are created equal. So um, oddly enough, most people think that, the age of the building is one of the bigger factors. They'll say my building was built in 1890 and no insurance carrier will consider it because it was 1890 when the truth of the matter is most insurance companies would rather insure an 1890 building that is restored and well maintained and as you know, than a 1950 building that is dilapidated and not, Maintain. So the right, age is there's
1: necessary. more risk there, yeah. How the
2: building is cared for, and that's kind of right. where you're going to get the most bank free book price-wise. Uh, and then in terms of another just trend is obviously coronavirus, which is, you know, organizations are shut down, and mm-hmm. um, there's something called business income insurance, which is w- what keeps you operational and afloat right. uh, if your building is shut down. And uh, unfortunately, most insurance carriers did not consider... Mm-hmm the likelihood that a non-property related claim would shut down a building, meaning most property insurance carriers require that there's some sort of physical damage. Well, duh. I mean, they they thought that's what they were going to do. There's a fire, a water pipe burst, a hurricane, an earthquake, something that shuts down the building. Mm -hmm. And then they'd be gladly paid because income insurance. But now we're in this world where People are trying to file property claims, business income claims, but their buildings are fine. Their buildings right. Are just yeah. There's yeah. Wrong with but that.
1: then they so, don't have that triggering claim.
2: That's right. So there's yeah. There's, um, you know, in the back end, there's just a lot happening. Um, most mm-hmm. insurance carriers, unless you have some sort of, you know, you're fortunate enough to have some sort of communicable disease wording in your policy, which is kind of rare, but does right. it does exist. But 95% of commercial policies just flat out are getting denied because there's no property claims. So, right. no property damage. So, uh, you know, in terms of trends, that is what, what you want to keep your eye on as a as yeah. an organization, because you're starting to see some lawsuits be, be filed by mm-hmm. various um, plaintiffs. I know like Wolfgang Puck, the restaurateur, and yeah. his partners have filed a lawsuit alleging that you don't need physical damage to have property damage. So lawsuits Mm. like that could really dictate how the insurance industry is forced to respond to this. Right. So legislation, I mean, President Trump had said something a couple weeks ago about the topic of business income insurance and pressure legislation. All of that could really shift. Whether organizations who are getting denial letters for their business income claims mm-hmm. are maybe going to luck into some sort of backdoor legislative type right. thing where insurance carriers have to change their tune. So that's going to be ongoing, and it's not going to be quick. It's going to happen over right, the next couple right. of years.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, that's, I'm, that's are, are, is the is the industry though concerned about? Um, um, the amount, the amount of claims, like the 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 dollar amount that would have to be paid out on those interruption
2: claims. Yeah, I mean it is the difference between in, the insurance companies coming out of this very financially stable, right. then Coming out of this essentially insolvent and potentially bankrupt. Right. I mean, it is that black and white because the topic of Is physical damage needed to trigger business income? Is property physical, like tangible properties, that need that deciding factor is going to be the difference between whether they pay no business income claims for any of their clients, and they're, they're out in the clear, or whether they have to pay for every single one of their clients for a significant amount, which you know insurance companies don't have the insurance companies keep what's called reserves, which is money in the mm-hmm. bank, to pay claims, right. And they they calculate their reserves based upon, you know, probable bad years.
1: Mm-hmm. This
2: would be a, such a historically bad thing. Right. That it could very easily wipe out a big chunk of the insurance market, which would then, frankly, you know, insurance companies aren't in it for free. They're trying to make a little money. Right,
1: it will raise they it, They have yeah. to
2: really increase their rates, yeah. and the premiums would go up. So it would be a mess frankly yeah so it's kind of to be determined on who's going to win that argument
1: yeah I've been um, watching that too because in March when everything's kind of started shutting down I'm like I know we have this interruption an insurance and then I thought that no they said like that's if we have a fire like I went through that whole that whole thing in my head yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it's the same process yeah. everybody's going yeah. through it yeah and um you know, it is what it is. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't know where it personally it's going to land. And uh, yeah, I just it's going to be
1: interesting to watch. Like, I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: yeah. is there anything that you wanted to share that maybe we didn't get a, a chance to to cover or we didn't talk about?
2: Um, no, I think I think we covered a lot of okay. it. Um, you know, I, I would just again. Um, now is the time, you know, uh, to look at, you know, when your businesses and organizations might be at their slow point to just maybe take a closer look at your insurance policies, talk with your insurance agent or talk with another insurance agent, just just try to better understand what you have. I think insurance is one of those things that kind of rolls over and, you know, Mm -hmm especially the organizations, nonprofits that have a board members that roll over and they'll say, right. well, so-and-so put these policies in place seven years ago and, and they just kind of renew and no one really knows a lot about it. So they just renews and, renews and renews. And then maybe at some point someone gets a bug up them and they say, I'm going to take a look at it. And then they realize that this, everything was off and wrong and limits were low right. and weren't ensuring location. Like you should really keep an eye on it and make it a practice to review your insurance with your agent maybe once a year at
1: least, Mm
2: -hmm. just to make sure everything is right. And, you know, that's a lot of the calls we're getting is people that are candidly because they're shut down or, you know. Right, they have time. There's there's time to think
1: about that stuff, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, So I would just recommend that. And that's really everything.
1: Okay, very good. So how can someone contact you?
2: Well, that's a good question. Uh, we National Trust Insurance. You can Google us. Um, I, we have a website. That I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I, I don't know if I know exactly. I think it's NationalTrustInsurance.com, but you can just Google National Trust Insurance, um, and uh, we're. I think we're pretty easy to find. Um, okay. And I'd love to hear from from anybody. I uh, okay. I also, you know, as we participate with the National Trust for Historic Preservation. They have a lot of conferences. I'm on the board of um, a historic theater group, the League of Historic American Theaters, which is another great organization. So we're try, we're trying to put ourselves out there and make ourselves available, um, as okay. best we can.
1: Okay, very good. And I'll make sure that your contact information is also on our website where the podcast will be hosted. So then you'll it'll be there if somebody want needs it to, to go back and look. Great. Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Take care. Okay. Yeah. Okay.